Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing CIC issue number 133, the priesthood of every believer. You can find that at the website CICministry.org. Now, do you want to just give us a little recap of where we've been in past episodes, and then we are going to pick up with communion? Yes, and what we're doing is dealing with an essential doctrine that came up at the time of the Reformation because of the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church and other versions of what who mediates between humans who are trusting Christ. Psalm 110 verse one says he sits at the right hand of God and that's cited in Hebrews and elsewhere. So the priesthood of every believer is clearly a biblical doctrine. So last time we talked about baptism. Yes. The simple truth of it is a lot more profound than all of the layers of tradition and confusion that have arisen throughout church history. So what we want to do is get back to the basic principle of Scripture alone and what God has revealed in Scripture. Amen. And it's so important. This has been so misused over church history. And, you know, Luther in his day was really dealing with Rome, but we can see all these same things going on today in various denominations and in in various ways, but we need to really understand what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, and how we have access to him. Right. So the one mediator between man and God is the man Christ Jesus, fully human, fully God, the second person of the Trinity. And we're affirming the doctrine of Christ. However, Throughout church history, the idea is, well, we have a better version of this. And what happens, sadly, is people are restricted, even though they trust Christ, even though they believe in Christ, and they confess the gospel, they're kept away from what God has provided in Christ through church authorities who put themselves between the believers and the Lord himself, who hears us. That's right. And we talked about this in previous episodes, but the thing that Luther was dealing with with the Bohemian church is they believed that because they didn't have an ordained priest of the Catholic church, they couldn't baptize, they couldn't administer communion, they couldn't do all of these things. We don't see that much of that today in evangelical circles, but when it comes to communion, you will find churches that practice closed communion, where if you're not a member of their church, you're not welcome. You might find ones who, if you don't believe this exact doctrine of what we believe about communion, you're not welcome. There's lots of ways that churches and different denominations have set up guardrails around the Lord's table as if the Lord needed them to protect his table. Yeah, I preached on this last Sunday. I don't know what timing this will be broadcast, but the fact is, that the real problem is how believers treat one another. That's right. You see that in Luke 22 and in 1 Corinthians 11 and elsewhere in 1 Corinthians. And I've been 
preaching on that. But for now, if you go back and look at the situation, if the only ones who controlled access to God were the Roman Catholic Church and the priesthood and the various hierarchies. So now people were saying, well, what do we do? The Bohemians, what do we do? So if you don't have access to means of grace, and you're not sure how you know your sins are forgiven, if you don't know much of anything because it's controlled by someone else, now we have the Reformation. What we're talking about is something so clear. It's the priesthood of every believer. Right. And my claim is that the greater the institutional hierarchy, the greater the hoops that are set up by church history that really restrict believers from fellowshipping with the Lord, with one another, and having assurance and searching the scriptures like the Bereans in Acts, the, problem, the bigger the problems. And so if indeed the solas are right from the Reformation, then why can't we go back to Scripture and understand and have confidence that we have access to the throne of grace? And also, the Lord's Supper isn't there to protect elements from believers, but believers from abusing one another. Amen. And that's exactly what was going on in 1 Corinthians that Paul was addressing. and. Right. That that sermon, I believe it was the January 30th sermon, if, if somebody wants to go back and listen to it, you did such a great job of showing how they were shaming other believers or kind of having the ins, the, the people who were the higher order ones and those who were being basically excluded. That's what Paul was dealing with. Exactly. And so, in fact, this, this is a Saturday we're recording tomorrow. I'm going to be bring that back up in Sunday school and showing the layouts that they had at their suppers and how they had first class and whatever, the atrium and the tri the triclinium. That has no place. But for now, we want to look at this article. And I see here that when this was written in 2016, we had this citation from Luke 22:19. Okay. Now it says here, um, and when he had taken some bread and given things, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I pointed out that do this is imperative in the Greek. It is. And when Paul reiterates this in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 23 and 24, he said he received this from the Lord, and he also mentions the night he was betrayed. And I just this last week noticed there was a play on words there that, whether intended or not, I think it's pretty ironic. Okay. And so that word did me to means to hand over. Okay. Okay. Because so in First Corinthians eleven, the night that he was handed over, we know by Judas. Judas was the betrayer. It says in earlier in Luke 22 that Satan had already entered Judas, but they weren't sure who that would be that would betray him at, at that point. They, the rest of them didn't know. Yeah. So the night he was handed over, 
And then he says, I received from the Lord what I handed over to you. So Lord's handing over the fellowship meal that remembers what he did and looks forward to his return. Ironically, Judas was preparing to hand Jesus over that he was the betrayer and he handed him over to the authorities to be rejected and crucified. Oh, wow. I had never noticed that. I never did. I'm not sure the reading someone can look at that. Sunday, I'm hoping some people will take a good look at that. I find it ironic, whether intended by Paul or not, it's still ironic. Right. It is. Ironic is that at the end, if you go back to Luke 22, Paul's wording has a lot in common with Luke. Okay. Okay. And so Luke was a traveling companion of Paul in Acts. What's really ironic is a lot of times we stop at the paragraph or the heading break. Yeah. And after Jesus said these things, they're arguing with each other about who's the greatest. Right. That's amazing. That's just amazing. We can't miss that. Yeah. So they're arguing about who's the greatest. Paul's addressing the Corinthian church, and their problem is schisms, divisions, arguments, who's the greatest, who sits at the best place at the table, who has better status. I don't think we can miss this. Right. Wow. And if you look at that back to Luther's day, and I'm not saying Luther understood the Lord's Supper properly. Right. There are still concerns there, too. But we can go back to Scripture. Yes. What he was right was the priesthood of every believer, authority of Scripture. Let's go back and look. And so what happens here that the Lord's Supper is his supper, not the supper controlled by the authorities, the hierarchy, who has better seating, who has a bigger cathedral, who has more status. And the way this developed in church history is so antithetical to what the New Testament teaches that, as Dr. Gordon Fee pointed out in his commentary on Corinthians, okay, it's as if the church is falling all over each, each other here to redo the Corinthian air. Exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. We learn how to read and understand the author's intent. Right. Luke is a Holy Spirit-inspired author of Scripture, Luke Acts. Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's writing 1 Corinthians. So, so, we, have, so we have Jesus giving instructions yes. in Luke 22, and the instruction was, do this in remembrance of me. And Come we in. have Paul reiterating what Christ said, which was, do this in remembrance of me. There wasn't any instructions there about who gets to do this, who has to administer it, what prayer has to be said, what has to happen to the elements. None of that. There's no instruction on that. That is the sorry story of church history. Yes. That, uh, for whatever reason, I believe in God's providence. When I was first converted in 1971, ended up in Bible college after already being in chemical engineering as a junior. And I got there the first summer, there was a summer class. I wanted to study church history. I've always had this hunger to study church history. 
Okay. It never went away. And what was shocking was that immediately, even the very earliest church, even during the time when the apostles are still alive, air just comes in. Yes. And even while they were there. So we need to always be able to go back to Scripture. And the great thing that Luther said was, why does the church claim all this power for itself and not give people access as the Lord's given in the scriptures? Right. In your article, you say nowhere in the New Testament does it claim that one has to be a church authority to administer the Lord's Supper. And it, it there, there's... Is not found. There's no instruction on that. Therefore, who distributes it is a matter of liberty for churches to decide. But there's no, no one says the only elders can do this, or no one says only an official priest of the church ordained by Rome can do this. It's not there. I don't see it there. In fact, the air that's most prominent is hierarchy. Yes. Some people have more status at the Lord's table than others. Okay. As we go back to Luke 22, and we look at 1 Corinthians 11, and we look at the book of Acts itself, they broke bread, they fellowship, and they believed what God said. Yes. So church history is not binding just because it's church history. Right. It, it, it can be informative, but it's not prescriptive. Right. And we don't want to redo air. For instance, those that deny the Trinity and those who have a faulty doctrine of Christ, those who believe that Christ was created being, that's blasphemous air. Right. All of those can be affirmed in uh, Scripture alone. But let's look at what Luther said as we Think about the issue. Okay. okay. All Christians are equal at the Lord's table. And here's what he said. There's a block quote in this article, and I'll quote that, that entire block quote from Luther. Okay. Luther. Here's what he said, quote, But Christ spoke this word to all those then present and to those who in the future would be at the table to eat this bread and drink this cup. So it follows, Luther said, that what is given here is given to all. Then he continues, those who oppose this have no foundation on which to stand except the fathers, the councils, tradition, and that strongest article of their faith, namely, now we have a quote within a quote, we are many, and thus we hold. Therefore, it is true. Wow. Unquote. Mm -hmm. We are many. We are old. We have traditions. Thus, it is true. It's true because we said it's true. We've been saying it's true for a long time. And look at us and look at you, pathetic gatherers in Bohemia. They want to know that you have prayer, that God hears, that your sins are forgiven, that you can celebrate the Lord's Supper. No, you're too pathetic. You need some 
hierarchy to come in and say, do it our way. Right. Wow. And that's just abusive. Interestingly, it's, it's, it's sad to say, and I mean no shame or dishonor to people who believe the scripture, but Reformed and Lutheran and many other kinds of traditions, sadly, have a different version of it, but end up repeating the same error. That is true. And it really comes down to the same thing. Well, this was decided 500 years ago, and it's in our creed or it's in our confession. Therefore, it's true. And greater minds than ours have said it is so, so it must be true. I've heard that. And it's really amazing to me. And I'm not saying I can judge who's more intelligent, who has better motives. God knows the heart. And we can't say, well, I'm smarter than somebody else, so therefore I must be right. A lot of smart people are lost because they're atheists. Right. Okay? But let's think about this. If our main argument is an ad hominem argument, means against the person. Yes. Or it's not really a strong argument or a valid argument, then we have to start questioning our own beliefs and reasons. And that's why a lot of descendants of Christians end up either changing what's taught into something like the social gospel or Christianized Marxism or whatever, or they start another group and try to retrieve the old traditions from 500 years ago. But I ask every one of us to think about this. If we cannot go back to Scripture alone and read and learn and understand what God said, then what makes us think that somebody 500 years ago had a better way to do that? Right. And that's not, I mean, we have better, better, older, closer to the original manuscripts to work with now. We have software that can put all of these right at our fingertips. We have a lot of tools that they didn't have. As a matter of fact, the software is so good now, it takes me three times as long to write a sermon. <laughs> yep. I've gotten to the point where I have to stop looking at the emails from Logos because they always convince me there's something great I need. Well, I have the ability now to search exactly how the Greek word was used. Yeah. How it's used in certain contexts, how it's used in certain passages, how it's used in Luke-Acts, how many times it's used. That's an amazing tool. And sadly, a lot of the seminaries are more interested in being politically correct than searching the scriptures. Right. Here are the libraries, the tools, the opportunities. Well, we don't like that because somebody's offended by pronouns. Right. Or they're more concerned about finding your Enneagram number so you can have better relationships than actually learning theology. Yeah. Here's something that we can all ask ourselves. If it is true that I can know what is intended in Luke chapter 22, where the Lord's Supper is found in Luke, and if I can understand by humbling myself, looking, searching, what is 1 Corinthians teaching? What is 1 Corinthians 11 teaching? What's the issue here? What is it that we need to know and do? 
if I can know that, would that weigh heavily enough upon me that I'd be willing to lay aside the traditions of men and believe the promises of God? Wow, it should. That's that's really what matters most. Yeah. The biggest thing that keeps us from pressing forward is the fear of man. Right. But it'll also create the schisms, the divisions, the members of the body of Christ who have believed in Christ and do trust him. And their sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus because they have no other status in the body of Christ than the fact that God placed us or them or whoever there. And that one can't say to the other, I have no need of you because I'm more important. Go back. I just challenge all of us, go back to Luke 22 and see what happened right after the Lord instituted his supper on Passover and promised that there'll be a future cup in the kingdom. What happened immediately? They start arguing who's the greatest. Wow. And part of that is is just so human nature, but you you have to think you're sitting there in the in the presence of Jesus, and you're going to argue about who's better. Well, there's there's a status debate that goes on all through there. Yeah, that's really amazing about Luke. Is starting with Luke chapter nine verse fifty one, going up to Luke nineteen. There's a reverse parallel construction. Okay, it's centered in Luke thirteen, and the whole point is that he's going up to Jerusalem to be rejected. Right. And the temptation is, well, be it far from you. Mm-hmm. Why would you be rejected? You're the Messiah. But the rejection goes on. And then when they get there, now here's the Passover. And it's just amazing. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And the betrayer, the betrayer is there, the one who hands him over, paradidomi. Who's the greatest? Well, if you really understand the fact that this is an hour of sorrow and temptation and trial, that if it weren't for the grace of God, we're all the betrayers. It, it, I don't think it weighs heavily enough upon us. No, it really doesn't. Uh, this honor-shame culture that they was so beautifully identified and powerfully identified by Kenneth Bailey, we've we cited him before, it just keeps coming back. And the only way to avoid it is to go back to Scripture and r- remind each of us who know Christ that if God hadn't granted us access to the throne of grace, if our sins were not forgiven, we didn't have hope for eternal life, we'd all be Judas. Right. We sure would. And we really need to allow this to weigh heavily upon us. Let me cite something here that I made as an implication. And, and this can be judged, by the way. Scripture is binding and authoritative. Mm-hmm applications that are valid and follow from the text logically 
are binding as well, but a misapplication needs to be pushed aside. Right. We'll deal with that in a couple of episodes when we get to binding and loosing. But here's um, something that I've said, and you can judge this because I'm not an authoritative prophet, but here's, here's an application. Christ said, do this, and church authorities cannot say, you may not obey Christ unless you obey us first. Wow. And I've, I've personally seen that in the last few years. Unless you agree to our church covenant and unless you agree to our confession and everything that, that's in it, and unless you become a member, you may not partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, how it's, it's the Lord's Supper. He gets to determine who's welcome there. Not I, church authorities, not, not later creeds and councils. You, you really just nail it there. We, we need to obey Christ. And it can't be because we've obeyed church. Um, what would you say it? Church covenants first. Well, that's the problem. And it just continues to confuse people. I'm not saying everyone who says that's a liberal. They consider themselves sounded to faith and very conservative. I have many friends who believe that it's proper to do it that way. Yeah. But we believe scripture. No church council, even if they're accurate on many, many things, has the authority to bar the Lord's Supper to people who are trusting Christ alone. Right. And, and we need to realize withholding communion, withholding the Lord's Supper, that's an act of church discipline. And we need to take that seriously. If somebody was converted in that service that morning, they need to be welcome at the Lord's table because it's not a sin to be a new convert. Right. And it's not, it's also, if you read in Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch was received, even though who knows if anybody saw him again. Right. Um, sometimes someone said believed and was baptized. It says believed and was baptized, as far as anyone know, like Simon the sorcerer, who's later seen to be apostate. It's not like the water's in danger because someone was baptized and then later decides, well, uh, I'd rather just make money off of this. Right. So we can search the scriptures. Okay, so it's interesting to me also that people who would bar believers from the table based on partisan or parochial considerations would we rightly rebuke people like Rick Warren, who says, you have to take an oath before you even read my book. Right. To take an oath that you're going to spend 40 days uh, finding your purpose through poorly written, poorly understood ideas, twisted scriptures, and so on. Yes, rebuke that. Yeah. But do you have to swear an oath to some other creed first before the Lord will accept you at his table? Absolutely not. I don't believe that either. And so um, as we close this section here, let me just continue one more statement. We must say no to those who want us to disobey Christ 
on the ground of their man-made traditions. Amen. Whether it's an old tradition, a sort of old tradition, an ancient tradition, or one that just started 20 years ago, if we can't search the scriptures and know the grounds by which the Lord would allow us to fellowship, we don't, who deserves it? Right. Who deserves tele- fellowship at the, at the Lord's table? None of us deserve it. And God is so kind and gracious to allow us to be part of his family. And if we say, well, you're barred, even though you're trusting Christ, even though you believe in him, even though you've repented and trusted Christ alone, we don't think you did it right or you don't understand. You have the wrong elements mm-hmm. to address these things. And we'll do it in the future. But at this point, dear ones, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him alone. Turn from serving human traditions, false religions, whatever they may be, worshiping nature, whatever. Turn to Christ. Trust him. Believe in him. And that is the means by which we find forgiveness of sins through Christ alone. Amen. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.